podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoax to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. So I've known Simon Baker since about 1996 when he first arrived in LA with his wife, actress Rebecca Rigg, and their baby daughter Stella. Um, I was so excited to see he immediately got this big movie role in LA Confidential, and then he scored two Golden Globe nominations for both his TV shows, The Guardian and, of course, The Mentalist, which was a big hit all over the world. Um, I was really excited to catch up with him again, especially now that he is a talented filmmaker who directed his first movie, Breath, based on the Tim Winton novel. And I got to go back to the home he still owns in Santa Monica, even though he is living back in Australia, so that I could um, sit down and have a chat with him. And the home in Santa Monica is where I used to drive past many years ago and throw bags of Australian passion fruit over his security fence because apparently I was the only person who had an Australian passion fruit vine that produced fruit. Everybody else has produced flowers. So Simon and Rebecca were always grateful when I could throw them over the fence and text them to go get them. So it was fun coming back to that house and also amazing to see his daughter Stella, who is now a beautiful grown woman who just graduated from Yale University. All right, here we go. Round one. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> so we're here in Santa Monica in Simon's place that he lived in for many of the years. I think you were living in Malibu yeah. Before that, weren't you? I remember going to that place. We jumped around a little bit, but we got here on the, I think it was 96 that we that we arrived in LA, um, we were, but we were in Hollywood and uh, it didn't take too long to figure that being closer to the beach was going to work more for us. Um, I, think, I think actually Becca went out one day, uh, my wife, Rebecca Rigg, um, she had an audition in Santa Monica and she got home from that audition and she said, honey, I found the place where we have to live. People walk around. It's, it's more like Australia. So we, uh, so we ventured out here and, and um, rented a little, a, little, um, a little flat in Santa Monica. Wow. You know, I can't believe that was 90, 96, did you say, that mm, you mm. – because I remember the first time I met you – you were still doing press for Sweat, but you just moved here and we met at like the Hollywood 101 Cafe. Oh, really? Somewhere up near the freeway there, that little... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did a photo shoot with you standing out there in the parking lot. Oh, really? And you had a baby, Stella. Yeah, well, she was three. Yeah. She was three. I thought it was amazing that... You had, you know, a family and you were coming out here, you know, at that time where a lot of people would only do something like that if they had nothing to lose and it was just them, you know. Well, I felt like we had nothing to lose. You know, we had each other and, and you know, we, we, you know we, had, we had a couple of suitcases and, and um, you know, a, a, a rental car. Actually, we didn't even have a rental car then. We were borrowing. Naomi was away working on a film, and we were 
staying in her apartment. And then and then and then we rented a car. We didn't we couldn't afford to do the insurance on it. We, we the rental was set up through Nicole and her business and then we were like sort of sub sub letting it off them, renting it off them. But it was because we couldn't afford we, we didn't have very much money and we couldn't afford um the insurance on it. Well, I guess it was a lucky thing that when you did rock up here, you did have friends like Nicole yeah. Kidman and Naomi Watts, right? Yeah. I think they, I think Nicole said you'd stayed in their guest house at some point or there something. There was one point when we our house was getting uh, we bought a little house in the Palisades and she and it was getting painted or something or renovated and we stayed in in their guest house. But yeah, like we definitely having a couple of friends over here, but not too many. We only had a couple. Their experience of being here, obviously Nicole was really, really established already at that point. Um, but Naomi was still, you know, going from rental apartment to rental apartment and always trying to get someone in it when she was away, if she got a job. and So she was still, you know, pushing and working really hard. She hadn't had that kind of breakthrough yet. But uh, it was exciting. It was a really exciting time and it never felt like it was a risk or it was just it was more of a an adventure like we'll just see what happens and we had a, I think we had about two thousand um, dollars and we'd figured out that that could last us I don't know how we figured this out that that could last us for a month or two months or something if we lived on um, potatoes and rice <laughs> <laughs> with a little three-year-old yeah. wow yeah. <laughs> so Life, how, life was pretty simple then. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so how long did that go on before you actually got – was it LA Confidential? Was that the first Yeah, that thing? was my first job. Wow, that's a not a bad first job. Yeah, it was pretty good. And, and How long and, had you and been here when that happened? I thought every movie was going to be like that. I was like, this is great. I love, I love the movie business. I'll do – I just can't wait to do more of these movies, you know. It premiered at the Grauman's Chinese and, and you know, there was a lot of – movie stars at the premiere and they were all sort of singing the film's praises and patting us all on the back and I thought, oh, yeah, this movie business is good. And then the next sort of three films I made went straight to video back when there was video. <laughs> yeah. And it was ironic because Russell was in it as well, Russell Crowe, so yeah. you, you, you showed up for your first Hollywood movie with two Australians. Uh, yeah, it was. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Did you know them? Yeah, uh, yeah, I knew them both, and and um, it was strange because I think also who was the who was the what's his name lovely actor that was in Babe James Cromwell James Cromwell that's right, and because he Babe had just come out or been out everyone thought he was Australian as well, so there's like all these Australians in this film. <laughs> there was only three For a classic LA story. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was my first. That was my first. Kind of introduction to it, and I got a. I, I met at the same time. I met with all the networks, and um, you know, I was also pretty much in one day. In the one day, uh, I found out about getting that small part in LA Confidential and getting a lead in a pilot TV pilot that didn't get picked up. But. Well, it's okay. You had a few others that did all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> eventually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in a surfing community, right, in Ballina. Sorry. Lennox, Ballina, right, that, that little area, yeah. Uh, New South Wales, yeah. You're yeah, not um, particularly known for, um, for producing actors 
that area. So when when do you remember like having a moment, was it television or film, when you actually made that association of like I could do this or I want to do this rather than just watching as a spectator? There was always, I think from the first time I went to the cinema, that experience of seeing, of, of watching films and, and being transported away and being able to put yourself into that, into the protagonist, into the lead character. And I thought, I thought that'd be, I'd love to do that. That'd be powerful and fun experience. But I was terrified and there was no, and I, and I didn't do drama at school and there wasn't really that, actually there wasn't drama when I was at school. So there wasn't that avenue, there wasn't that approach. And I, and I also thought that I was probably just dreaming and that most people have that experience when they go to the movies. I just sort of, I didn't know what I was going to do when I finished high school and, and like a lot of people, uh, I moved to Sydney. My sister was, my older sister was a doctor and she had, uh, you know, there was great expectation uh, because from a, from a really blue collar family, a working class family, um, the fact that she was going to med school was pretty potent and... Yeah, that's I, a lot of pressure. Yeah, so, every, so they all kind of looked at me like... What are you going to do? Are you going to be a doctor? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do. <laughs> but I knew I could leave if I convinced the, um, the parental unit that, um, that, yes, I would go into medicine via nursing, then, um, <laughs> then they would let me leave because I had to get out of the small town. I, I really had to get out and, and go to the city. Um, and then I started, I enrolled with one of my best mates into um, nursing school, which was just probably the silliest idea <laughs> in my life. Um, and I have, and it's still I tell people and it's just like this kind of crazy joke, but I had a good time for, for a couple of months there. It was just a couple of months you were yeah. doing it? Yeah. Were you actually nursing or learning how to nurse? No, I just going to, I was at nursing so you didn't, we didn't, they didn't turn you I loose on any anybody nursing. in a hospital. No, I mean, are you kidding? I, 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 I still to this day can't watch someone put a needle into, the, <laughs> I can't, in a film I can't watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so two or three months, yep. I can't even remember. I didn't even, I didn't even unregister from the course. I just, just didn't show up anymore. And then I, and then I, I worked in a pub. Which pub was it? It was the Regent Hotel in Kingsford. I liked that experience of working in the pub because you you saw all different sides of people. That'll be Stella. Ah. Oh. Stella? Sorry. It's all right. We'll just pause game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stella's? Yeah. Hi. Hi. It's all it's right. okay, we're, just we're pausing. pausing. Yeah, no, no, I was just <laughs> fidgeting. Um... Where were we? Uh, we yeah, were no, talking worked, about the pub yeah, and how much you liked the different sides of. Yeah, you just saw so much at working in a in a in a pub, and and the pub was sort of three blocks from NIDA, and uh, you know so there was always students coming down to that pub, and you know NIDA's across the road from New South Wales Uni, so yeah, all these sort of hope, these young. Uh, positive, confident people full of hopes and dreams going out and getting educated and I was sort of working in a pub with this very deep-rooted fantasy about 
one day maybe being an actor. And I filled out my application for NIDA. NIDA is the National Institute of Dramatic Arts for anyone listening that doesn't know. Yeah. The premier acting school in Australia probably, maybe. Yeah, who knows, in Sydney for sure. Um, At the time, absolutely. You know, it's where Judy Davis went and Mel Gibson and all of these people. Uh, I never, ever sent it in. What? Because I was too scared. I was just too nervous. And then I, weirdly, I don't know what happened. I had a bit of a rough time in Sydney when I'd first moved there and, um, and, and went home and went back to, back to, to Ballina for a little while and got my head together. Because it was pretty, it was pretty heavy going moving from the country with all of that space and then being in the thick of it. And working at a pub, and I and I think I was even I think I was actually working seven days a week, mm. and drinking, and all of those things. And I was eighteen years old, and you, you know your head starts to spin a bit, and and um, just trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into the world, and all of those things. And I, I'm a pretty analytical person, and. I kind of had like this little breakdown and then and went home, ended up going home, um, which was good because it just was like this r- weird reset mm. uh, and, then I, and then I went out um, with a bit just eased into back into things. I, went, I moved to the Gold Coast for a while uh, and then I went back to Sydney, eventually back to Sydney and and and... You know, when I was on the Gold Coast, I started doing a couple of commercials and stuff. So you got an agent at some point to get the commercials or like when did you – when was the first time you dipped your toe in actually? I actually – you know, that was the that, – that was this sort of um, coincidence that just happened. I, I, I was going camping with a guy and I think you probably heard the story before but uh, I was going – doesn't matter. No uh, one else has yeah, heard it. <laughs> I, was go, I was going camping with a guy. We, we, we were – had the car all packed up and – he said, oh, look, I just have to stop, um, in, you know, it was, it was from the Gold Coast to Brisbane. He said, we've got to, we've got to, I've got to stop in uh, for a casting for this um, commercial. Uh, he said, look, you can wait in the car or you can just wait inside. I might be half an hour, you know. And I went and waited inside and the casting woman came out into the hallway and, and sort of said, have you signed in? And I said, no, I'm just waiting for my friend who's in there now for this audition and uh, the the woman right there in that moment and, I, and I'd love to know who she was because um, I'd like to thank her. She said, um, you know, why don't you sign in? Why don't you go in and audition? Wow. So I signed in and I went in and auditioned and um, and then I got I got that commercial. Did you beat your friend to that job? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I did. But I got, yeah, I got cast in that commercial. I think it was for, I can't even remember what it was for. Oh, that's right. It was for Drumstick ice creams and I remember showing up on the set and from the moment I showed up on that set and I watched the way like a film set essentially a commercial set was run and what was going on from that moment I was I was fascinated by sets separately to work that day as an actor I was sitting there and they were like I got to sort of laze around and eat chocolate 
um, drumstick ice creams all day and I, and I thought, well, this, is, <laughs> this isn't hard, <laughs> you know. No, <laughs> I didn't have to fake enjoying it, you know. Um, it was great. It was easy and I, I really liked the camaraderie of the crew. I liked that whole energy and out of that I got an agent and, and sort of went from there. So when did you start working on East Street and then you went East Street, country practice, home and away, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah, 89 to 93 was East Street. I was working, I worked with a guy called Nick Vale who directed a music video for uh, one of the actors on East Street, right, because they had like this sort of record thing going on and, and... um, he cast me in the, in this music video, and um, I really enjoyed that process. And I became mates with him. And I said, "Look, if you want to do any more of these, I'd I'd like to just be your assistant, or like shadow you, you know, step and go fetch it, run around and do everything." And these were really low budget music videos. So you were interested in filmmaking, yeah, way back then, probably before acting. Yeah. So okay. so I. I did assist him and I, you know, sat through, you know, the, the conceptual meetings with the music videos and we did a few together and through the whole process, post-production, everything, um, and was in them and that's where all those videos that they love to show on talk shows come <laughs> up of me dancing around like some <laughs> clown. Anyway... I was often in the offices where they made that show, um, E Street, uh, because I was working with Nick. And Forrest Redlick, who was the executive, the producer of the show, his wife, they, his wife suggested that like every, first Tuesday of every month they had an open casting session and, and, and um, Lisa Redlick suggested that I audition for the show. In the open casting thing and, and uh, I was like, okay. Um, so I auditioned and then they wrote me a character. So they wrote that character they wrote, for you? Yeah, they wrote that character for me. So that was sort of – that was the beginning of me working as an actor. And I, and I ran off. I got the job and I ran off and um, I did like a two-week short course at NIDA. So I did go to NIDA eventually yeah. for, for two weeks and I paid for it though. Um, and I did a few acting classes here and there and but pretty much just learnt on the job. You, I mean, there's so many people that have come from the, that background in Australia mm-hmm. who have done really well overseas. Mm-hmm. Is it because you're just working all the time and you get really a lot of experience or what do you, what do you think it is about those shows that, that give people that kind of... Well, there's a lot of characters in them. And then there's a lot of turnover, so it's sort of it's sort of a a place to be, um, you know, to get blooded into the industry, to cut your teeth, uh, to figure to figure it out. I mean, it, the quantity of of what they produce is massive. So there's such an incredible turnover. You you have to figure it out pretty quickly because before you, you know before you've got a chance to even sort of figure out if it works on the page, it's already been shot, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that quick. So you, you do get, um, I guess you do develop a work ethic uh, and um, 
Yeah, it's it's remarkable how many people have come through those shows. At the time, there wasn't the content that there is now mm. anywhere near the content because we we only had, um, you know, what is it, four stations or something? Yeah. Four TV stations. What, seven, nine, ten and ABC. That right? was it. Yeah. So there wasn't enormous amount of opportunity in Australia other than those shows. Uh, I think that's probably why there's so many people that have come through those shows. Mm. I always ask everybody this in the podcast but, um, you know, you guys sort of came, you were in a a previous wave where there weren't as many and it was a little tougher. Mm -hmm. Now it seems like every morning, um, every Qantas flight, there's another person that's getting off the plane that is, you know, very likely probably going to work. Do you have any other theories about what it is about Australian actors that it's an unusually high number for such a small country and small acting community to make it in the most competitive place in the world. I certainly think that there's been enough Australians that have come through that have been proven to be successful that there is, there's at this point now that we've reached um, a, a point where there's an expectation that, that they're going to be reasonably good and they have a good work ethic and they uh, like to have a good time. So um, I don't know which one which one should be at the top of that list in order. It's probably a combination. <laughs> it varies. Because people like the work ethic and they yeah. like knowing that they're going to have a good time. Yeah, that it's not always going to be – that it's not going to be fraught. But we've got the momentum now with enough people that have come across and, and, and achieved a level of success – so there is that expectation, I think, when, when, when people meet Australians within our industry. For me, there was just a lot of um, gratitude in, in particular with having opportunity that wasn't there in Australia. So to come over here and see the opportunity, it does inspire you, it does, it does give you hope and it does give you um, a confidence because we didn't have that. That opportunity wasn't available. They, were, they weren't making a lot of Australian films and at the time. Um, they were making a fair few American films in Australia with sort of B-grade American actors in the main roles and then they'd fill up all of the supporting roles with, with really great Australian actors. And if you could get a gig in there, then that was fine. But I was a guy, I was just a sort of this kid that had come along through soap, so I wasn't taken seriously as an actor. You know, and I, I remember going to the premiere of Muriel's Wedding um, and sitting there and, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the movie and I thought, oh, this is, this is kind of great. Um, and we were in Muriel's sister's bedroom and she's on the bed and there's this scene and her her bedroom wall is adorned with posters, pinups, and I was one of the pinups. I never noticed that. And right behind her head from sort of like TV Hits magazine or something like that. And it was such a sad, I was like, ah. And I remember my wife elbowed me back and she goes, you're in the movie. I was like, yeah, not quite the way I wanted to be in it, but... (laughs) 
But there was that stigma at that time. There was, in, in particularly in Australia, it was like, well, there was, the, you, you know, you're a soap actor, um, you're a theatre actor, and you're, you're a film actor. And at that time, the boundaries between those different areas hadn't broken down like they had, mm. like, like they, I mean, now there's really not, there's no real sort of stigma associated with doing TV at all. So in a way, going to LA was not as risky as it sounded because you could reinvent yourself. Like people didn't see you as the soap guy no. when you came no. to LA, right? No, that's right. Like, yeah, I came over here and, and, and it said on my resume that I'd won a Logie. And they were like, wow, you won something. <laughs> Americans love it when you win something. It's fantastic. It's like, yeah, I did win something. <laughs> so it was, it was, it, it was, it was like a fresh start, but I, I didn't, I guess it, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind. It was just that there was so much more opportunity. And part of what, because uh, you mentioned earlier, like that, that must have been sort of terrifying arriving here with a, with a young child. And I felt like I had a safety net because I could always go back to, you know, one of those four soap operas in Australia and just make a living. Right. Well, we should actually bring up Rebecca at this point because she's been mentioned by Ben Mendelsohn and a few people as sort of like a really great sort of glue for an LA sort of an Aussie community in LA. She's been really, and I know she's been very supportive of your career. Mm -hmm. She was an actress first, I think. Was she when you met her? Yeah. Yeah, she did, Rebecca did her first job was um, a little movie when she was 11 called Fatty Finn. She was great in it, really good, and and she was really motivated as a as a child to be an actor. So when I first met her, and I got this job as on E Street, she was always she was always great. Like, you don't want to do this. Be careful of that. They're going to make you try and do this. So so she sort of protected me in a lot of ways from her experiences in the industry and. Really, a large part of us coming over to the states was motivated by Beck, um, because she'd gotten a bit of traction on a f- couple of different Hollywood movies where they started sort of casting the net a bit wider and coming to Australia um, and seeing a- and seeing actors from Australia for certain movies. So she came down to the wire on a couple of um, big American projects uh, before we got here. So with she was like the focus wow. of why we came over here. And she had gone to school with Nicole Kidman, right? That's right. The two of yeah. them had known each other since yeah. since school. So So during high school they were they were both going off to do films. <laughs> you know, and so that that's how their bond started. It's so lovely that then that, you know, Nicole could be here and sort of help make a, a little bit of it a little easier for you guys, you know, in some ways. When you got here, just also just a, just just uh, you know an ear, mm. you know you could talk to them about stuff, and they and and, and she would have, um, you know, uh, an understanding of experiences that was way beyond anything that we'd experienced before. And she's also just she's also a very positive person, Nicole, and 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 quite brave. Like she's afraid she's not afraid to take risks. She was she was super supportive. But then um, after LA Confidential, would, did you guys discuss the focus changing, or it just became sort of a natural ebb when you had more kids? And it just went that way. Um, you know, Becca worked on uh, a couple of different jobs, television jobs, 
we had another child, then we had another one. And as, as the family grew and developed, that became a bigger priority. Um, she, she encouraged me to keep working, you know, that, that just kept sort of happening and flowing. And, yeah. you know, you go from renting a house and you buy a little house and the next thing you know, you, before you know it, you're sort of established and, and you know, coming over here for um, potentially two months if everything went south, um, <laughs> we ended up here for 20-odd years. So wow. it, it just sort of developed. As your life does, it sort of yeah. starts taking over and, and something beautiful about that. Before you were cast in The Guardian, your first big hit TV show, mm-hmm. you had a bunch of great movies. You did, what, Judas Kiss, Ride with the Devil, uh, Red Planet, Affair of the Necklace. I mean, you you sort of really got around, and 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 of course, and the Devil Wears Prada, of course, I suppose was that was later. I think was it later? I think that was after the Guardian. I'm not sure, but yeah, no. No, I you're did, right. That was 2006. I did, I did a bunch of movies. Yeah, I remember I was on the set of Ang Lee's movie Ride with the Devil, and you were oh, all that group that. with Toby Maguire and Jeffrey. Skeet Orridge and everybody. Yeah, uh, I spent a lot of time with Jeffrey Wright on that movie. He's a great guy. That looked like a really wonderful experience. That was, a, you know, that was like those sort of experiences, are the, the dream experiences. And I look back and you don't get too many that are like that. I bounced all over the place. A lot, a lot of the jobs that I had to choose, there was always things to weigh up, which was how much time away from the family, can I bring the whole family, is it going to be easy mm. to manage as far as the trajectory of my career in a lot of ways it was it was a lot of times it was like one step forward and two steps back or two right. you know because I, so I had to work when I needed to work you know yeah. to provide and I couldn't you know and 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 that was a difference that I saw with you know some people that came over and they were on their own they had the luxury of being able to hold out for certain stuff because they were only really looking after themselves um, but that's okay because it's, it's sort of – I had a very rich experience being able to raise a family yeah. within this profession and and still for so many years of it be pretty close to the bone on a lot of it. So the, the, those experiences are really quite potent for my kids um, right. as well as for, for, for Beck and I. And Beck was always incredibly supportive but it was challenging and, and then that was – when the kids were starting to, you know, go into school, things shifted because I couldn't just take them. I mean, we used to, we were like gypsies. We used to be able to just pack up and, and go. Uh, and that's when I thought, well, the only way I can continue to do this is if I do a TV show. And lucky at that time there were a lot of shows filming in LA. Now that mm. would not even be as well, likely no, that, that you'd was, end up in LA, right? That was also like a... That was a pretty clear. Um, it had to be in LA. It had to be in LA, and and then, you know, the Guardian came along. It was a great show, and I think uh, Dabney Coleman must have been mm-hmm. a, a great mentor in a lot of ways for you. Mm-hmm. Sort of stepping into an environment like that with somebody who had just done so much in mm. his career, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's a great human. Like he's a real character. Um, you know, if I look back at that show, it 
it should have been on cable. Mm. I mean, it would if you look at the stuff yeah, that's on right. cable and streaming now, with the premise could have been of FX or something. Yeah, like. the premise of what that show was really would have worked quite well. It was it struggled, I think, on network television because the content standards and practices they they had to reduce the level of of, of where we wanted to go and where it probably should have gone given the subject matter of yeah. a, a drug-addicted lawyer, corporate lawyer. Right, yeah. It's kind of an anti-hero character and there wasn't a lot on TV at the time. Right. But that was your first Golden Globe nomination. I remember that night and it was quite a funny night being at the Golden Globes because I think Naomi was presenting, mm-hmm. Russell was nominated, you were nominated, I think Nicole was either presenting or nominated, mm-hmm. but there, uh, and Hugh Jackman was nominated. Mm. And it was like the first time that that I whole do remember. Were... I do remember it's like socialising afterwards and there being so many of us all together, which was cool. Yeah, I have a great picture I'll have to send to you guys of... Of me and Deborah Lee and Rebecca and Nicole and Naomi all sitting at a table that night together, and it was like wow. And at that time, I thought we'll always have these nights, but you know, you don't realise <laughs> you just the chances of you all being in the same room again. They're moments. <laughs> They're just moments, and 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 you kind of gotta you gotta lean into those moments when they're happening because you you can't take any of that for granted. It all goes, you know, it all shifts and it all changes, and and um. Yeah, no, I remember those little little things quite fondly. That was fun, that show. It was hard. It was really hard. It was the first time that I worked that kind of, those kind of hours. I mean, we worked, the first year I worked every day. We were doing sometimes 17, 18 hour days. It it was hard. And we had a young, we had a young baby. Uh, We had, Harry was born during that show and Claude was, um, you know, a year and a half, so young children, and it, and it, and it took its toll. But I learnt a lot on that show, and I learnt how to, if I was to ever do TV again, how to approach it and how to structure it so that I can look after myself a little bit better. Mm. And 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 uh, because I do, I I used to have a tendency of sort of putting my own needs last, and I would wear myself right down. Well, then you obviously got a chance to learn to put that into practice um, when yeah. you when you did the ben- the mentalist. Yeah, so I finished the show. And I think you had like a four year gap yeah. between those two shows. Yeah, right? I did a couple of films, bounced around. Um, oh, you did the ring too with Naomi. I did do the ring, which must too. have been funny getting to work on that with her. Yeah, it was funny. That was a bit bizarre. <laughs> I took a year off in there somewhere. I'd sort of had enough. Um, we bought a little house and I was renovating the house. So I just took a year off and, and did construction around the house, um, which is great. And then, I, and then I, um, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, Ted Griffin, a writer, and he was working with Martin Scorsese on, a, on this Carver champagne commercial in New York. Oh, I remember. That was this 15-minute short film commercial. And he said, "Would you know?" Ted calls me up and said, "I've mentioned you to Marty to do this thing, and and um, would you be interested?" Uh, and it was a it was a Hitchcock homage thing, and I said, "Of course, I'd be interested." So I sort of haven't worked for about and 10 did you months. and did you say like Marty knows who I am? <laughs> I knew that Ted had mentioned 
uh, me to Marty. I thought Marty wouldn't have known who I was. <laughs> Ted was just pushing it. And I thought, so you're saying that you, you told Marty about me, Ma- Marty Scorsese about me? And he went, yeah, 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 he's interested. He wants to, um, you know, I think, he's, I think he wants to cast you. I was like, oh, okay, all right, great. Uh, and then I, <laughs> the funny thing happened is I was cleaning up from a kid's birthday party that we'd had in the backyard and there was uh, in a concrete tub there was a bunch of sodas in in bottles that I was picking up and the, I dropped the bottle it hit the edge of the concrete and it was and it exploded and it cut the front of my leg like a big deep gash in the front of my leg oh. and I stepped back on the other <laughs> on the bottom of the bottle and it went through my foot oh right and Beck took me down to emergency and they stitched me up you know and stitch up the bottom of my foot but I basically both legs were injured and and Marty Scorsese just cast me in this thing and I could barely walk and I was on crutches and I went out there (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't know whether I should tell them and I was strapping my foot up and you know I I, so I nearly lost that little Little, little job and that little job was really just an opportunity because I was such a fan and, and you learned a lot I'm sure and I had it yeah and you know it, it sort of changed my whole perspective that that weird little job changed my whole perspective on my approach to to the things that give me joy in this business and um at that moment I knew that I I knew I was going to make a film um, because Marty could tell that I was interested, he could see, and 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 what is fantastic about Martin Scorsese is that he's an incredible teacher, and he sees and he can see when you're interested. So he just gave me. He was so generous with his time, and so generous with his thoughts and ideas and and his knowledge, um, and it just inspired me. And uh, I carried that a lot of that. A lot of that experience with me um, from from that point on, and it also made me go back and look at all of the different experiences that I've had and start to sort of um, analyze them and 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 kind of make these mental textbooks out of each experience so that I can carry those with me into the future um, for other to avoid problems and issues and. Hmm. Did you direct on The Guardian or just started on The Mentalist? I did So on the, the first Guardian. time was on The Guardian. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you knew obviously the moment you did that that that's what you wanted to keep doing, right? Yeah. Well, I knew before I even started directing. Yeah. I knew when I would sit there and on a set as an actor, I always knew I wanted to be directing. It was just about trying to... That must have been hard then watching other directors come in every week because directors on TV at that time were... Sort of just a job for hire one week yeah. to the next, right? And you, yeah. this is your was hard. character in your <laughs> life, right? <laughs> it was hard and, you know, I, 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 I wasn't always polite about it. <laughs> you know, I gave a lot of directors a hard time. I just, I just sort of did. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle – there's two things that always used to upset me. One was I couldn't handle when people weren't, hadn't thought about stuff and weren't prepared and – that was the first thing. And then the other thing that I would always get into arguments about was when writers or directors would underestimate the intelligence of the audience. And I, I felt that it was almost like an insult to me because 
I'm an audience as well. And it always annoyed me. And and, uh, so I'd go into battle a lot for that. Well, but the good thing about The Mentalist was also it was it was such a big hit. That was seven seasons? Seven seasons. Seven, seven seasons. Years, yeah. And I think it had a pretty big global reach. That must have been felt really good for you in terms of, you know, a show that you were so um, invested in. Yeah, it would. It was weird, you know. I had to go in and out of, um, you know, hotels in Paris through – through the laundry chute and that sort of stuff. Really? Yeah, it was it was bizarre. It was really it was it was really strange. <laughs> funny though, like uh, you know, I saw the fun in it. <laughs> so now let's. It's get also th- nice with the French to you know to to walk into a restaurant and then want to give you a great seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice that the French are nice to you. <laughs> yeah, I like the French, <laughs> and they like you. <laughs> so. Um, might that, be something to do with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to breath and yeah. I wonder, you, you discovered this project, I mean you already read it, for people who aren't Australian it's based on a Tim Winton novel and Tim Winton is, you know, one of our beloved writers who's just written so many great books. Um, this had a surfer character and it was slightly coming of age, you can describe it better than I can, but... At what point while you were making The Mentalist did, did it just came to you as a book first or? Yeah, well, Mark Johnson, who who was uh, an executive producer on The Guardian actually, um, that's where I met Mark and, and we'd stayed in touch. He, um, he had read the book and he sent it to me uh, whilst I was on the set of The Mentalist. Well, that's funny. So yeah. you're, an, you're the American producer of yeah. <laughs> read the book. And right. you were like, I don't know this book. <laughs> no, I'd heard about the book, but I hadn't read it. Um, and then he said, Look, I got a chance. There's a there's a possibility that I can get the option for it. Um, I thought of you when I read it. M- maybe you'd be interested in, in ah. um, producing it with me and, and uh, being playing Sando. And so I read the book. You know, it it was, you know. It was how I grew up, so I knew all of those characters. So um, I, I knew them all very with great detail, uh, and they were also clear uh, in, in me in so many ways. So mm. the, those characters were, were, were characters that sort of helped form who I who I am as a person. And um, yeah, I read it and immediately called him. And said, "Yeah, I'm in. I don't know how we're going to make it into a film because it's almost impossible to shoot that. Uh, but um, I'm definitely in. And, and that was not for me to direct it at that point. Did you think that to yourself, though? Yes, I did. But I was terrified of of um, voicing it. Mm. You know. So you were just sort of going along with Mark." Who shall we get to direct this? It's also one of those things, and this is this is this is true for me with throughout my whole career. It's like, um, I feel like I've got to sort of fight for something. If I don't fight for it, I don't trust that it's um, any good. <laughs> you know, it's this weird sort of sensation. It's like I got to. It's like any job that gets offered to me. The first few times I actually just got offered jobs straight up, I was always like, that must be shit. 
you know, they must be crap. Well, why would they offer it to me? So, <laughs> good thing it wasn't Titanic. <laughs> right, no, I know. <laughs> Don't worry. I could have. There's been plenty of jobs that I that I have sort of misstepped on for sure. Because I, because I, I don't know, I, I just didn't, I had my head up my ass or something. I don't know. Do you want to tell us any of them? Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> nah. There, there was, there's, I think every actor probably has them. Yeah. They're there. Um, the ones that got away. That's just the, the landscape changes as you go and, 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 and the view of the landscape changes as you grow. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I was at a certain point that I that I made certain decisions. I still grew in a way, like like you know my my film resume as an actor. It's not something that I'm particularly proud of, you know, as far as the quality of work. There's some good stuff in there, here and there. Some good moments. Excuse me, but but that doesn't diminish any of those experiences for me because that's what I carry not not the end result not yeah. how the film works out but what what that experience was and even if it was a negative experience there was always going to be something positive that comes out of that negative experience the truth is I understand that now mm. at the time you, you're so sort of passionate and heated about trying to kind of claw your way up what you think is a ladder that yeah. isn't really there. Yeah. But you think it's a ladder and it's sold to you by, by the machine of what Hollywood is as a ladder. You know, you socialise and people are like, hey, what are you up to? You know, and if you don't say, if you, you know, if I said, well, you know, I just, um, I've actually just been trimming my roses, uh, <laughs> you know, and I painted the front of the house, they're like, What? They don't care about what you've been up to. They don't care about what – they just care about w- what opportunities you've had that they could potentially exploit, <laughs> right? There's always right. a little bit of piggybacking here, leapfrogging yeah. up along ladders and all of that stuff. And and that's where my wife has been incredibly um, powerful in my career in the sense that she's always kind of – shaken me up about you know this is what's real you know this this is all good that's all great um but this is what's real and i think not just beck but i think that's also my kind of uh regional upbringing in australia yeah where where you know your friends tend to treat you uh you you, you know keep you grounded for who you are mm. <laughs> not what you've done necessarily yeah for who you are and how you react in any moment or situation as opposed to the body of work. I think that's a very Australian thing just in general too. Like mm-hmm. even the Australians that have, you know, well, you know, Nicole and mm. Hugh and people like that, you mm. know, that mm. you don't you don't see that. Mm. People think they're great but it's because they're, they don't, it's not that they had to fight not having an ego, it's just not innately mm. an Australian thing that you get mm. carried away with it all. So how long was the process from the time you and Mark decided that you would direct it? You were still then working on The Mentals, so yeah. then you realised we have to wait till the show's over. Yeah, so we started talking about, we started talking about development of the script and then we, and then we talked about um, different directors and obviously I wanted it to be an Australian director uh, and we met with a bunch of them, um, you know, all of the guys, I think the first person we met with was David Michaud. He, he, his film had just played. We met with him 
the morning after his film had just won the award oh. at Sundance. Yeah, Animal Kingdom, yeah. And he wasn't there, you know, but we sat down and in hindsight that meeting he was just – his head was spinning and he had no idea what he wanted to do or what was going to happen. And then at a certain point Mark said, why – you know, after a meeting he said, has it occurred to you that you should direct this film? And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because you talk about this film as the director. I said, of course it's occurred to me. Um, I'm, I'd be terrified directing it but I think because Mark suggested it, it validated for me. Mm. If I'd said straight off the bat, you know what, Mark, I think I should direct this movie, I don't know if I would have had the momentum behind me and the confidence to keep pushing forward. Yeah. And Mark was fantastic throughout the journey. He wasn't overly involved in my process but he was always there as a support and always um, available to talk to and communicate with if I had doubts about certain things or, uh, you know, mainly doubts about myself. Um, as a director or uh, an actor? No, as a director. Mm. I mean, just with the responsibility. So who did the actor talk to when they had doubts? The actor's so used to being alone, it's fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, that's fine. It's just the energy that's exhausting. I don't... Well, that's, you know, I... I talked to Mel Gibson recently and he said that Braveheart almost killed him mm. and that he never ever was in a movie he directed again after that and mm. I just wondered what that experience was well, like. Well, I there. hadn't done it any other way. So I'd only directed, I'd only been able to take advantage of opportunities of, of TV shows Where that I was them. number one on the call sheet so I got the chance to direct them for the, the in the first place. And that no one was going to really mess with me too much with what I wanted to do. So yeah. I got to explore a little bit more. Um, so I hadn't done it any other way. So I thought, oh, this is fine. Uh, it'll, it'll be fine. But the truth is towards the end of that film when I, when I had my last day as an actor, it was a really nice feeling not having to go hair and makeup in the morning and put a costume on and just go straight and know that I was just going to be completely behind the camera. It was a really nice feeling. <laughs> it's um, such a beautiful film and for people listening, if, especially in your, if you're in the US, you need to, to go find breath um, and go see it. But also um, the validation that you, you have now that it's, you've toured the whole of Australia, you've been to New York, Many, many people have now seen the film. What mm -hmm. does it feel like to be at the other end of the journey? I feel that the, 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 those moments when I first saw movies and I sat there and I watched and, and, and there was a purity to the exchange that happened between me as an audience member and, and what was happening on the screen um, and the language of cinema, um, I feel like that purity is is kind of come to the forefront again and... and it's it's sort of it feels like a, a rebirth of some sort some way because I, I, I feel fresh again like I've come out of you know like shed my skin but to see your film being witnessed by an audience and I still watch whenever I do these screenings now the Q&A's and stuff I I come in and watch the last sort of five ten minutes because um the experience of feeling the audience connected to the film is, um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's great. 
can I quickly ask you before we wrap up? I, I didn't know you'd done another movie, but I noticed you had a movie called Blue Knight mm. with Renee Zellweger, yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah, Taylor Kinney and Jacqueline Bassett. That's a pretty good cast. When did you do that? I just snuck that one in. I think it was the end of summer last year. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I, it was just after I'd finished Breath, completed Breath, and, um, yeah, it's just one of those little easy jobs, a couple of days. Where did you shoot? New York. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about it until I, you know, got some notification that it was going to the Tribeca Film Festival. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did a little movie. Because the the breath has taken up so much of, of, you know, my life. Um, But you wanted, you just wanted to do something else just for a little bit to kind of. You know, it was really good going to a set where I was just. Just like a tourist coming in. <laughs> Is it a comedy? No, it's not a comedy. Oh. <laughs> um, and then and then you make leave. it sound so enjoyable. <laughs> no, I but I look. I love the set. Yeah, you know yeah. Th- this is my experience of it, and and for me, the film's the byproduct. Yeah. The experience on the set is for me where it's at. So you've worked in Australia. Where do you see yourself going now? Do you want to direct in America and? Australia, do you want to do TV again? Do you want to keep acting as well as directing? Yeah, I really loved being back in Australia and I really like – I've always felt uh, connected to the Australian film industry. It didn't embrace me when I lived there as a young actor but I always aspired to make Australian films. The irony is my first Australian film was the one that I directed. So (laughs) – which is kind of strange. Um – there's a sense of pride in in Australian stories and the Australian identity in whatever form it takes because it's 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 a multicultural nation um, and it, and it's it's a nation that has always sort of struggled with its identity over the years. I feel pretty strongly about making films there and continuing to try to help articulate who we are to us Australians right. but also internationally and and and, yeah. and there's great opportunity and and, and 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 I'm prepared to commit to nurturing that. I want to keep doing stuff that I feel stimulated creatively and I feel alive when I'm doing because then it's not work. Then it's then it's just joy and there's love in it, you know, and and I have to feel that love. And uh, acting as well yeah. without directing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally I, I, continue I, I that. I need to feel that. I, I spent a lot of years where I worked as a provider, um, you know, and, and, and that was my focus. Now, now I want to um, work for my soul. Wow. So you can, can you give us any hints about what you're thinking about doing next? I'm supposed to. I'm <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> Um, I'm, you know I, what? I could, I, cut, I, I could I, cut it I, out if no, it no, no, no. Well, I'm thinking. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking very strongly about doing this. Um, doing this film in in um, Northwest Arnhem Land later on in the year, which wow. is, you know, it's a, it's a it's a risky uh, film. It's a difficult film to make. Uh, it's going to be in some insanely um, remote country where you know where a lot of white fellas have never been before so there's a lot in the logistics of organizing and pulling this thing together but just to act in it um but it's a it's a big it's a big risk and it's one of those things that i have to continually think that 
remind myself that it's the experience that's going to be the thing that'll sit with me and not necessarily the result because there's always going to be a risk with every with any film that you make that it will turn out or it won't turn out you know what all that stuff I said about experience before in this situation I probably just have to put my money where my mouth is and back that and go and have this incredible experience well thank you so much for all your time and it's lovely seeing you over the years grow and change and and just being where you are now I'm really happy for you thanks Jen all right. Bye. Oof. I'm so thrilled that Simon has had such a great reception to his movie Breath, both critically and at the box office. I think the sky's the limit for him now that he's proven himself as a talented filmmaker. And as I mentioned earlier, Breath is based on a book by Tim Winton. And if you'd like to hear Tim Winton in his own words talking, check out the podcast Be A Man on podcastone.com.au. I'm also pleased to report that Simon now has his own passion fruit vine growing in Australia. That's it until next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app or search for Aussies in Hollywood on iTunes.